Hi, NARC Troopers. I'm happy to see you here today. Our topic is going to be why victims of narcissistic abuse sometimes self-trash with sex. The dysfunctional responses um, to childhood abuse, they manifest in um, a number of maladaptive ways, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So here we go. You know, the intensely powerful and transcendent experience that sex can be between two people in a long-term committed relationship, one that is meaningful, intimate, and profound, is becoming increasingly difficult to find. Sex has become something else entirely, like a way to anesthetize, control, subjugate, or to act out. It is a tool used to quell boredom, uh, to feel alive for a few hours, uh, maybe to reject depression and helplessness, escape the pain of living, indulge in the forgiven, uh, forbidden, <laughs> and maybe even experiment with something like chem sex um, to have a manufactured drug-induced transcendent experience in lieu of the natural high that real love produces. It's like people don't even know what that is anymore. Things have changed, right? Uh, monogamy is vilified by those who proclaim the new norms of poly, throuples, group, masochism, sadism, kink, voyeurism, exhibitionism, or other unconventional practices, as well as sexual paraphilia. You know, the ways that sex has devolved into nothing more than a recreational sport that often causes some type of harm either to themselves or to other people, well, you know, it's become common among regular folks with reasonably healthy childhoods these days. You don't have to be someone that has, a, you know, archaic wounds from a traumatic childhood to be able to adopt some of these um, new things, you know, it's all part of, part of being maybe sex positive that brings with it some things that might not, you know, that could be counterproductive, that could be harmful to people. <clears throat> There's a flip side to every coin. Let's just think about it that way. So if that is how regular folks are rolling these days, maybe between the sheets, <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. No, not really. In 2023, if that's how we're going to roll, imagine what sex has become for those who are suffering from childhood abuse and trauma or something soul-crushing that occurs later in their life. Self-trashing, and that is a real term, self-trashing, often manifests as promiscuity and is a form of self-mutilation akin to cutting or burning. Mm -hmm. It is self-inflicted punishment. It is a complete lack of respect for yourself, a wish to disappear, an attempt to feel alive, a bargain with the dark side. It is repressed shame personified. Yep, it's all those things, and it's not a good, none of, none of those are good, right? I did it, my partner did it, 
The majority of abuse victims do it at one time or another. Self-trashing happens. The important thing to that you have to remember is that you want to move through it, right? You want to, if, it, if it's like a brief phase, um, then, you know, I, I think that that's fairly, I won't say common, but it's, it's not shocking that that would be a phase you would pass through from point A to point B in your despair, hopelessness, and feelings of horrible depression. Um, you know, it happens, but getting stuck there, um, you got to move through it with speed and alacrity because if you linger there in that self-trashing place too long, uh, it's possible to get stuck. And then, and then what? You never are able to get out of it. Childhood sexual abuse is, um, is a prevalent problem that is associated with many long-term psychological, behavioral, social, and physical long-term and permanent effects. Uh, almost all victims of abuse conflate sex and pain in ways that go beyond um, triggering or anxiety or depression, you know, all of that, because depression can just leads to emotional dysregulation. Uh, inability to establish boundaries a lot of the time, and um, and even a lack of identity can be uh, the result of like severe depression. There is a spectrum of abuse from high to low, low to high, and the milder forms like touching and molestation may create a person with BPD, borderline personality disorder, and extreme ex ex abuse, you know, such as rape or incest, can cause DID, which is dis uh, the DID is dissociative personality disorder, not disassociative, but dissociative personality disorder. The victim sees himself or herself as an object, not a human. For people who have been sexually abused in childhood, there's a conflict between needing human touch and intimacy and being repulsed and terrified by it. Naturally so, right? I mean, that would be uh, quite understandable that there would be that um, ambivalence. Shame is enormous part of abuse. And it's difficult to turn shame into anything else or find ways to coexist with it. It nibbles at you from the inside out like a parasitic worm feeding off of its host. You know, it, it weakens you, it depletes you, and it wears down your efforts to thrive. Things are not always what they appear to be. When we witness someone who appears out of control and reckless with their bodies, or we watch someone self-trashing and behaving as if they enjoy being boundaryless, um, you know, a closer look at these people will explain a very different story. They are in crisis. They are in distress. And this is a maladaptive uh, response to whatever the, they're going through that's horrible. Society at large is guilty of making judgments and assumptions about people who exhibit self-trashing behaviors. Even in this woke time of, of sexual positivity, we're still judgmental. Um, 
when we see something like that. And, and I don't think you can automatically assume that it's what it looks like. It can be something else. You know, instead of helping them and protecting them from further harm, and you know, in response to what you're witnessing there, there are many who will either blame them for being so weak or injured them again and again since they are such easy prey. You know, who goes after people like this? Yep, you guessed it, the narcissist. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of predators, though, among us, and they're multiplying in numbers every day, I think. Um, and, and they cannot resist the temptation to gobble up a juicy and vulnerable victim weakened by past trauma and abuse, filled with the shame of self-doubt and um, an embarrassment about what has happened to them and ready to be exploited and abused repeatedly in a cycle that never ends. The way that broken, damaged people have of finding one another is nothing short of remarkable. I know this one. Um, you know, it is, um, uh, they find that jagged piece of glass that perfectly matches their torn piece of psyche, and then the rest is history as they act out the proxy roles and parentify one another. It is a shared fantasy bubble. We've talked about that a lot of times before, right? Shared fantasy bubbles. Um, and uh, what else do I want to tell you? Um, <clears throat> it's a mutual psychosis, a folly adieu. Folly adieu, spelled F-O-L-I-E-A-D-E-U-X. So what are the, some, some of the coping me mechanisms, mechanisms that abuse victims can manifest? Wow, that was a mouthful. Dr. Sam Vaknin identifies various ways maladaptive behaviors show up after early life abuse. Number one, self-objectification. Self-objectification is when people view themselves as objects for use instead of human beings. Victims of narcissistic abuse have been objectified in the bedroom throughout the entire relationship since the narcissist is incapable of ever seeing them as a separate human being. They are idealized, snapshotted, photoshopped, and interacted with inside the narcissist's head. You don't exist in real time. Sex may feel intimate and powerfully bonding, but it is not real. That's an illusion, and they're really good at like making you believe that, um, you know, they're actors. They should get an Academy Award for their acting part there um, because they're acting a part. And eventually, um, I mean, they're using this as entrainment to condition you and they become you finally and they hollow you out. And, you know, you're drained at that time from years of narcissistic um, just the whole thing, um, so that, you know, then they're going to discard you and throw you in the trash. You become a used up toy that no longer holds interest. You know, you were never more than just a sex toy that the narcissist used to masturbate with. Just as, uh, just an image in his or her head that was, um, 
just infatuation, nothing more. Number two, absenting from sex by dissociation, suspension of self. And that's what dissociation is. It is a suspension of self. And you can absent yourself from sex to leave it, to be vacant. Your body may be there, but you're not in it. Like that whole thing is happening to someone else. There are three ways you can check out of the moment and all uh, reality connected to it, like we're talking about the actual sexual experience. Both involve detachment from the real world and an acceptance of a fantasy world and all that comes with that. Derealization is when you begin to see the whole situation as unreal, uh, like it's just a movie you split the world and become, you know, just observers, like you're not actually participating. Victims of sexual abuse and other forms of abuse usually have a vivid fantasy world, imaginary friends and tremendous imaginations. It allows them to visit other realities and magical realms and transport it, which transport them uh, away from the savage reality of what is being done to them. They may create entire worlds with characters in graphic detail, or it may be a brief visit to Never Never Land as needed. Fantasy in these circumstances is so way better than the grit and grime of real life and whatever horrible thing is going on there. The narcissist developed this ability early on, and the victim of narcissistic abuse learns to do it too. It's a trauma response. This derealization um, um, de where you make it like it's not even happening, you know. Uh, your mind is a powerful thing, and, and the people that have been through terrible abuse have the ability to just leave their body. Um, you know, victims of sexual abuse at any age often escape into imaginary worlds to ease their pain. And then the second way to, like, absent yourself is through depersonalization, just similar to derealization, but depersonalization is where you disappear completely. You're not even there. That's somebody else and you're gone. Um, and you, you know, you just leave your body and hand it over to someone to use for a while. And when they're finished, you come back into your body as if you know, it were not you. This is beyond the fantasy. This is beyond pretending. It's a real departure uh, from the reality of your physical self. You know, um, when you're gone, you don't know what terrible things happen to your body in your absence. Um, the narcissist probably experienced this derealization as a child when he or she was being abused. And so when there is too much fear and pain and horror, there is no way to get away and you do whatever you can to survive. So you leave your body behind until it's over. Um, and then another thing I just want to mention is amnesia. Here, the victim simply forgets it. It happens, but you erase it like it never happened at all. All of these absenting experiences and behaviors continue after the narcissist has gone. Um, it's difficult to return to reality. So victims sexually 
uh, especially of sexual abuse and narcissistic abuse, do what the narcissist does. They derealize, depersonalize, and experience amnesia. Number three, self-punishing behaviors, splitting to become the good object. Stay with me on this one. The victim of sexual abuse may engage in sex that is designed to restore the good object. If the victim has been denied by the people who are supposed to love them, then these are bad objects and they need to be punished by engaging in destructive, somewhat masochistic sex. Since the victim believes that, um, uh, that they are punishing the good object, then they must be the good object. Essentially, it's a classic splitting designed to restore virtue and value. According to Dr. Melanie Klein, expert psychoanalyst on the topic of object relations, splitting of an object into a good object and a bad object is a defense against ambivalence and the anxiety that it generates. The narcissist sees everything in black and white. You're either good or bad never both at the same time. There are no shades of gray, and that's always how it is. Shame motivi motivates us to self-punish. It is a pitiful attempt to restore order and justice to a world that has turned a blind eye to the horrors the victim has experienced at a time when they were helpless to stop the abuse. As the victim ages, it is a futile attempt to Reestablish the good object by acting as the moral police who will punish the ones who committed the terrible acts of indecency by surrendering themselves to the perpetrator of the crimes against them. In their minds, they are to blame and maybe even made it happen. So these are, um, you know, a framework called resurrecting the buried self was constructed to explain how women who survived incest healed from the experience. And um, the stages of this included reappearing of the buried self, re, re, like uh, reanimating the, the buried self, and resuscitating the buried self, and then renovating the buried self, regenerating the buried self, and reincarnating the buried self. So it's a similar trajectory that the victim of narcissistic abuse must work through in remaining constant with the R alliteration. All of those started with an R. So um, I think that that's worthy of another video to get into all of the R's, but it's definitely something to consider. This would be a really long video if we attacked all of that today. So I just wanted to introduce to you that things um, that you have to break the cycle and things may not always seem what they appear to be. That a lot of times some of the things that um, look like self-trashing behavior, you know, are um, not good things. You know, there are enough predators in this world who are looking to devour easy prey. And if you see that deer in headlights lost soul who is being led to slaughter by a predator, the ethical and merciful thing to do is to save that person before they are eaten alive by this ravenous narcissist, psychopath, or sociopath. Even if it looks like they're going willingly, 
it's really not what it seems, none of it. The victim goes with predators because they were raised by predators and it feels like home. They will, you know, it will be their death because things are not always what they seem to be. And so the truth is out there. Like they used to say in X-Files, uh, if you look only at the surface of things, you're gonna miss it. But because the truth, to be able to find that and to truly make peace with it and live by it, you gotta dig a little deeper. Okay, see you guys really soon. Peace out. Bye.